is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Guilt is a powerful emotion. It can serve as the impetus for change in a person's life. Now whether that change is for better or worse depends on the individual as well as the severity of the situation that caused it in the first place. If we turn to history, one example that stands out to me is that of nuclear physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man put in charge of the Manhattan Project. When asked for his reaction to witnessing the power of the atomic bomb at the Trinity test site, he famously recalled a quote from the Bhagavad Gita stating, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. When given a certificate of appreciation on his last day at Los Alamos, he addressed the staff with the following message. It is our hope that in the years to come, we may look at this scroll and all that it signifies with pride. Today, that pride must be tempered with profound concern. If atomic bombs are to be added as new weapons to the arsenals of a warring world or to the arsenals of nations preparing for war, then the time will come when mankind will curse the names of Los Alamos and Hiroshima. Witnessing the arms race that ensued after World War II, Oppenheimer came to regret his role as father of the bomb. He later opposed a hydrogen bomb, feeling that thermonuclear weapons were more powerful than human beings could control. In tonight's story, Professor Mathers is a character similar to Robert Oppenheimer. He carries tremendous guilt for his role in an atomic weapons project. This guilt has caused him to focus his research on a way to help mankind evolve beyond the need for war. He has already successfully evolved the intelligence of a chimpanzee named Darwin that assists him in his laboratory. He hopes to take his research to the next level. He just needs a human volunteer that meets the criteria. Now, as always, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen The Six Finger, you can find it on Hulu and on DVD through Amazon. So let's step aside and let Vic Perrin's control voice set the stage for tonight's episode, The Sixth Finger. Where are we going? Life, the timeless, mysterious gift, is still evolving. What wonders or terrors does evolution hold in store for us in the next 10,000 years? in a million, in six million. Perhaps the answer lies in this old house, in this old and misty valley. First broadcast on October 14, 1963, written by Ellis St. Joseph, with additional material by Joseph Stefano, directed by James Goldstone. We meet Kathy Evans, who is played by Jill Hayworth. She is delivering bread to Professor Mathers' home when she finds him in his lab. There, she also sees Darwin and is amazed by how smart he is. Can you do that with people, too? Well, that, my dear, is what I want. Why do you ask? I'd like to be smart. There's someone I'd like to be smart for. 
were your parents? I don't have any. Could you make me halfway smart? I'd like a sample of your blood. It's all right, it won't hurt. Ah, extend your arm. Kathy wants to be smarter. She submits a blood sample to Professor Mathers in hopes of being a match. This part is a little bothersome, you know. Here is a sweet young lady, and she's played as this, shall we say, less than smart person, who feels she needs to raise her intelligence to impress this guy, who was actually kind of a jerk. I guess this will have to be our accept and move on part of the episode. Kathy returns to her sister's bakery, where two men walk in from working at the local coal mine. One of the men grabs Kathy, but the other one steps in and pushes him away. The man's name is Gwillem Griffiths. He is played by David McCallum, who folks may know for his roles in The Great Escape and The Man From Uncle. I was surprised to discover that he provided the voice of Alfred Pennyworth in the DC animated features Batman vs. Robin, as well as Batman Gotham Knight. The two walk to Professor Mathers' home, and we learn that Gwillem isn't happy. The foreman told the manager that I've been making trouble among the miners. Spreading discontent and acting myself superior. The manager called me in his office, asked me if I thought I was too good for the job. So I told him, as maybe I was. So it's down tools for me and I'm out of a job. Well, it's one good thing. I'll be able to turn me back on that mine. I wish I could turn my back on that whole town forever. Life should go forward, see, and not backward like here. How can a man go forward here? It's the most backward place in the world. Where would you go, then? Oh, anywhere. To get out from under, away from all this dirt and stupidity, and away from that black mind that's to blame for it all. It would give me great pleasure to see this whole town utterly destroyed. Inside Mather's lab, Kathy is told that she is not a match for the procedure. Kathy introduces Gwillem to Professor Mathers. Gwillem wants to apply for the assistant job, but Professor Mathers has his doubts. Do you think you're eligible for this particular job? You can do anything another man can do. And better, maybe. <clears throat> I'm working on high-frequency electronics on a molecular level. Are you familiar with solid-state circuitry? Any experience in ordinary lab techniques? Microscopy, biopsy, protein analysis and synthesis. You know anything about the mechanical side of office work? Computer technology? Filing procedures? Stenography? Are you trying to make a fool of me? On the contrary. I was merely suggesting that you are best adapted for what you've been doing. Gwilym isn't qualified for the assistant position. But when he hears of Mather's experiment, he volunteers for the procedure. Realize an experiment always has its dangers. I'm game for anything. Sooner than go crawling back to that mine after my job. Spend the best of my life like an animal in the dark. Mrs. Ives! Take him out and clean him up, Mrs. Ives. The next day, Gwillem is being prepared for the experiment. His blood has been accepted and they proceed at once. 
Gwilym enters the chamber and Professor Mathers powers on the machine. He pushes the control switch toward the direction marked forward, and sounds of high-powered engine fills the room. Mathers turns off the machine and tends to Gwilym, who is covering his face with his arms. When he moves them, we discover his frontal lobe has grown larger and half of his hair has fallen off. Gwilym slowly emerges from the chamber toward the professor. You're praying that your experiment may be a blessing and not a curse on mankind. Now you're hoping you may be forgiven for what you did only a few years ago. And you helped to invent an atomic bomb that was so powerful it could destroy all the life on this planet. It's this sense of guilt that's made you bury yourself down here. Trying desperately to find a way of making war impossible. How do you know that? The next day, Professor Mathers is examining Gwilym. His forehead is heightened, and his hands are displaying the bud of a sixth finger. His body is taking the shape of man evolved thousands of years ahead. But Mathers notices a change in Gwilym's demeanor. It is a high price to pay for power over other men. Misgivings, Professor. Afraid you maybe gave power to the wrong man. What makes you say that? You should have realized by now, Professor Mathers, that I can read your mind. Gwilym is growing more and more intelligent. He has grown bored. As he states, what good is intelligence without knowledge? He demands to read every book the professor owns and storms off. The next day, Kathy is delivering bread, and she asks how Gwilym is doing. She wants to see him, but he can't be bothered. He has immersed himself in his reading. Feeling dejected, Kathy returns to the bakery where her sister and Wilt are talking. Wilt turns to Kathy and begins to criticize Gwilym, but she defends him and slaps the accordion out of Wilt's hands. No, poor Kathy. She can't seem to catch a break. Her own sister constantly belittles her, and the guy she's attracted to won't even speak to her. And now this coal miner is throwing in his two cents on the matter. Kathy sees the big picture, though. She sees that Gwilym is not willing to live the stagnant type of life that everyone else in town has resigned themselves to. We return to Professor Mathers' home. He exits his bedroom to the sound of piano playing. Fast piano playing. He enters the room and finds that it is Gwilym behind the piano. Now, according to David J. Scowls, The Outer Limits Companion, additional material was needed to fill the show's running time, and director James Goldstone suggested that the best parallel to mathematics was music, and thus Gwilym should learn to play the piano. In We Will Control All That You Hear, The Outer Limits and the Aural Imagination, Reba Wisner writes, they used Glenn Gould's then-new recording of Johann Sebastian Bach's from Well-Tempered Clavier, since Gould performed them faster than any other recording to date. McCallum then learned to mime the playing to avoid having to hire a stand-in pianist. Come in, Professor. I'm very grateful to you. You've given me the ability to observe your culture through the eyes of a man 20,000 years in the future. <laughs> 
Amazing, isn't it? Things that endure the ravages of time and taste. This simple prelude, for instance. Bach will quite probably outlive us all. Have you always been able to play this well? I have never before touched the keys of a piano. But playing the piano is only a matter of mathematics and to a certain degree of manual dexterity. Man produces little that is lasting, truly lasting. It's understandable. It is. Fear, conformity, immorality. These are heavy burdens. Great drainers of creative energy. And when we are drained of creative energy, we do not create. We procreate what we do not create. Professor Mathers suggests that he get some rest. Gwilym simply says goodnight to Mathers and continues to play. The camera pans to Gwilym's hands and we see that the nubs on his hands have grown longer. Later that night, Gwilym enters the professor's bedroom. I finished these books. With dawn. Why aren't you asleep? I no longer have any need for sleep. Continue to evolve. Your hand. The sixth finger. When did it develop? Sometime during the night. I was too absorbed in reading to notice it. How is it possible? Must the pupil explain to the teacher? It's really quite simple. You release the mechanism of evolution, which is a self-generating force. It is now mutating under its own impetus. I am now where man will be approximately one million years from today. Reba Wissner states, and we will control all that you hear, that with each evolutionary change that Gwilym undergoes, we get what's called the eerie discovery motif in the underscore. A flute ascending and descending with a whole tone scale demonstrates forward movement in time. Why are you laughing? I am laughing at what is in your mind, Professor. You think that I've become a monster. Did I remind you that everything is relative? For me, you look as monstrous as the missing link. We'll stop this self-generating process before it's too late. You must return to the chamber immediately. I'll set the dial backward somewhere nearer to man. Would you be willing to go back to an ape, Professor? Gulam's appearance has changed once again. His head has grown larger, his ears are becoming pointed, and most of his hair is now gone. He is now where man will be one million years into the future. The next morning, Mrs. Eyes leaves a stack of books outside of Gulam's door. She then hides around the corner to see if he picks them up. When he opens the door, Mrs. Ives is startled by his appearance. The two lock eyes, and she falls to the floor. She's dead. Was it an accident? Your race is too prejudiced to tolerate any differences from its own kind. She saw me only as a monster, and it was in her mind to run to the village and arouse its inhabitants. They would come with their primitive weapons to obliterate me. 
I wanted to stop her and I stopped her heart. You feel no remorse. Or would it bring her back? She was, after all, a human being. The same as ourselves. The same as you, Professor. In relation to me, she was no more advanced than a monkey. She wouldn't have become civilized for another million years. We're at the funeral for Mrs. Ives, where Kathy overhears talk that strange things have been occurring at the Mather's residence and that Gwilym may have played a part in Mrs. Ives' untimely end and that the constable will be notified. Kathy rushes over to warn Gwilym. She finds him standing in the shadows. I come to warn you. I know. The constable's already sent two men down here. Ignorance breeds fear. Why aren't you afraid of me? We're friends, Willem. You've always been kind to me. Are you still not afraid of me? Kathy is startled by Griffith's appearance. His head is even larger. His facial bones are protruding and his hair is now completely gone. Kathy rushes out of the room and runs into Professor Mathers. She demands to know what's happened to Gwilym and asks to bring him back to the way he was before. In the Outer Limits Companion, David J. Scow writes, Gwilym's physical evolution was the most elaborate prosthetic makeup job ever devised for the Outer Limits. John Chambers made a life cast of McCallum, then did the three evolutionary phases required. John Chambers would go on to win the first ever Academy Award for makeup in 1968 for his revolutionary Planet of the Apes designs. Gwilym emerges from his room and states that the whole town must be utterly destroyed. An example must be made. The human race has a gift, Professor. A gift that sets it above all the other creatures that abound upon this planet. The gift of thought, of reasoning, of understanding. The highly developed brain. But the human race has ceased to develop. It struggles for petty comfort and false security. There is no time for thought. Soon there will be no time for reasoning and man will lose sight of the truth. Professor Mathers tries to stop him, but Gwilym throws him across the room using his mind. The door opens by itself and Gwilym exits the house. Kathy tends to the professor, then states, All that's left of my Gwilym is his hatred of this town. Gwilym is walking through the woods when two patrolmen stop in front of him. They reach for their weapons and Gwilym throws one into the bushes. He turns to the other and begins to speak. But suddenly he pauses mid-sentence and walks away. His eyes are alive with thought. What those thoughts are remains to be seen. Gwilym returns to Mather's home and finds Kathy. Don't be afraid. I came back because I knew you were here. What have you done? I was going to destroy everyone. And suddenly, it no longer mattered. I evolved beyond hatred or revenge, or even the desire for power. I could feel myself reaching that 
stage in the dim future of mankind when the mind will cast off the hamperings of the flesh and become all thought and no matter. A vortex of pure intelligence in space. It is the goal of evolution. Man's final destiny is to become what he imagined in the beginning. He first learned the idea of the angels. But that is far ahead, and I'm impatient to go the whole way. But that is why I need your help. My help? You're the only one I can trust. Will you help me to go forward? I shall return to that chamber. You must turn this dial to its furthest limit all the way into the future. To infinity. You understand? Kathy is in tears from what she's witnessing. Gwilym is so far gone from the man she once knew. She knows deep inside the man is still there. You mustn't go any further. Come back. Come back to me the way you were. Kathy, it was you who took me out of the blackness. It was you who helped me to come this far to make it possible. Won't you help me now to achieve the ultimate? Kathy agrees to help him. The machine is set up and Gwilym instructs her on what to do. He enters the chamber and says, Now must I break the last barrier between the flesh and the spirit. The door closes and the machine is turned on. Kathy pulls the switch toward the backward direction. Gwilym is unaware of this as the machinery begins to grow louder and louder. We can see Gwilym through the window. His eyes roll back and his appearance changes to the way it was the night he was playing the piano. Kathy pulls a lever further. The machine grows louder and Gwilym's appearance is changed to the way it was when he first had the experiment done. Kathy is excited to see what is happening. She pulls the lever even further and Gwilym is back to the way he was before the experiment. But the machine continues to power, and Gwilym takes the form of primitive man, with excessive hair and protruding brow. Kathy pushes a lever forward, and the machine grows into a frenzy before shutting off. The chamber door opens, and we see Gwilym, modern-day Gwilym, the man Kathy had fallen for. He exits the chamber and wipes a tear from Kathy's face with his hand once again having only five fingers, and then falls to the ground. Professor Mathers enters the lab, and Kathy turns to him. I brought him back. I think he's glad. He, he touched me. Kathy touches Gwilym's face as the control voice takes us out. An experiment too soon, too swift, and yet May we not still hope to discover a method by which within one generation the whole human race could be rendered intelligent beyond hatred or revenge or the desire for power? Is that not, after all, the ultimate goal of evolution? As advanced as we are as a species today, sadly, we still have a long way to go before we reach that evolutionary level where the need for war is obsolete. 
if we all embrace the little steps in the direction of progress and peace, then just maybe that evolutionary step won't be as far away as it seems. Sadly, we are an impatient species. Let's just hope that sound judgment will override any rash attempts to force any sort of pseudo-peace in the interim. This episode originally had a different ending. The first draft of the script ends with the professor and the constable entering the lab and looking into the chamber, only to discover that Gwillem had devolved back into primordial ooze as the camera fades out. Personally, I like that ending more. I feel like with Gwillem being brought back to normal, he has so much to answer for. He's murdered people. So the fact that Kathy gets her Gwillem back is bittersweet, because we know he will more than likely end up in prison. At least in the first draft, we get a sense of justice served. I love the fact that the most evolved being on the planet ends up as basically soup on the floor. That being said, I think this is a fantastic episode, certainly worthy of its status as a classic in the series. A few bits of trivia here. Byron Haskin, who had directed The Architects of Fear, returned to direct in post-production all the transformation shots that happened inside the chamber. The bud of Gwillem's six-finger was made of spirit gum, cotton, and sealer. The first sketch of Gwillem's final phase incorporated grotesque bulging eyeballs which were later eliminated. Janus Prahowska, who played Alan Layton's full alien form in The Architects of Fear, returned to the series to play Darwin the Chimp. He even used his own stage tour chimp costume. And finally, a speech on the subject of Darwinism by Professor Mathers was cut from an early version of the script because it was deemed too taboo a topic. Of course, all these facts and more can be found in David J. Scow's The Outer Limits Companion. I want to take this moment to thank Stephen V for leaving the show a very kind review on iTunes. Thank you very much, sir. It means more than you will ever know. I received an email from a listener named Stephen who shared his memories of watching the show growing up and had some nice things to say about the Rebo Wisner interview. Stephen is also a fan of Dominic Frontieri's music and listed his top five episode scores in the following order. Nightmare, Architects of Fear, Controlled Experiment, The Man Who Was Never Born, and Don't Open Till Doomsday. I also received an email from a listener about The Man with the Power, drawing parallels to that episode and Forbidden Planet, with the unseen menace causing chaos. But for the life of me, I can't seem to find that email, and I've forgotten the gentleman's name. So please forgive me, sir. I thank you, though, for writing in. If you want to share your memories of the show or comment on a particular episode, I promise I'll be more organized in the future. You can email the show at victor at theouterlimitspodcast.com, or you can find me over on Twitter by typing in at outerlimitspod in the search bar. One last thing. Dear friend of the show, Tom Elliott has been nominated for a Rondo Award. I'm almost certain that most of you listening have heard Tom Elliott's The Twilight Zone podcast. Of the many Twilight Zone shows that have popped up over the years, his is considered by many, myself included, to be the gold standard in Twilight Zone podcasts. What better way to solidify that fact than by casting your vote for his show in the category of Best Multimedia Horror Site? Head on over to thetwilightzonepodcast.com slash Rondo to find out how you can easily cast your vote. So that's going to do it for now, folks. Join me next time when I look at episode 6 of season 1 titled The Man Who Was Never Born. Until then, 
I am Victor Gamboa, and I now return Control-T.